I'm going to invite uh, Matt to come and give us our gospel reading, which is Luke uh, 6, 1 to 11. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through his graveyards, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. And taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful, only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And said to the man in the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So the encounters that we're looking at today, um, they both occurred on the Sabbath, and they're really encounters between uh, Jesus and the Pharisees, but we also have this man with the withered hand who encountered Jesus. The Sabbath provides the backdrop to today's reading, but what is it? What is the Sabbath? Well, firstly, even though the Pharisees were trying to use the Sabbath to, uh, to catch Jesus out and trip him up, uh, the Sabbath uh, was given uh, to God's people by God. And uh, the idea is first introduced uh, all the way back at the beginning of Genesis, in Genesis, or beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 2 verse 1, where it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Uh, Work is good. Uh, Rest is also good. And in life, we are to find a balance. God always intended human beings to work. And again, we see this in in Genesis 2. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So work is actually a gift from God. Uh, But when human beings rebelled against God, work took on a different dimension. It became onerous, stressful, and uh, unpleasant in many cases, but that's not how it was intended to be. So work is good, and rest is good. God wants us to make time to enjoy him and to enjoy creation. And that's what the Sabbath is all about, a day when we can focus on that which is most important, namely our relationship with God. The Sabbath principle is so important for our well-being that it's actually one of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment, and it begins like this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
And it continues because the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, is actually the most detailed of all the Ten Commandments. And it talks about um, uh, God's rest at the end of creation, the, uh, the, the Sabbath rest there. Now, if I ask you to come up with the ten most important rules for children to follow, and you hadn't just heard this sermon, I wonder how many of you would include rest It's really important to rest. So rest is important. Taking time to focus on our relationship with God is important. But why was the Sabbath so important to first century Jews and to the Pharisees in particular? Well, apart from the fact that it was one of the, or is one of the Ten Commandments, it was one of the chief ways for the Jews to differentiate themselves from the surrounding cultures, and particularly the Roman culture that had been forced upon them. Uh, The Jews were occupied by the Romans. It was, uh, in many ways, a hostile environment. And there was a very real risk that they could begin to lose their sense of identity. And this, this Sabbath was a sign to them and to the Romans that they really were God's special people. The Pharisees went even further Uh, They believed that Roman occupation uh, was at least in part punishment from God for not keeping the Sabbath laws strictly enough. Uh, So they came up with lots of rules and regulations so that no one would inadvertently work on the Sabbath. They made the requirements so strict that no one could possibly step over that line separating rest from work. It's a bit like this, you know, we know that the speed limit on the motorway is 100 kilometers per hour. And we might say, well, we're Christians, so we don't want to break the law. So we're going to make a rule that no one in the church is allowed to drive faster than 10 kilometers per hour. Uh, Of course, that would be huge overkill, a massive inconvenience, and almost impossible to adhere to. Uh, But that's how it was for the Jews on the Sabbath. So it's important for us to understand the the context of this passage. However, Luke's main aim is not about, his main point is not about the Sabbath or whether or not Jesus was breaking the rules and regulations or even the laws uh, associated with the Sabbath. Luke's main concern in this passage is Jesus's identity. It's a question of identity. He talks about two Sabbaths. And on both occasions, Jesus is giving people permission to do things that they're not normally allowed to do. It's really important. Jesus is giving people permission to do things that they're not normally allowed to do. Now, if I got on, let's say, a Virgin Atlantic flight, and you know how when you get on the flight, the flight attendants are there to welcome you and to show you which way to go. Imagine I got on the flight and I stood with the flight attendants and I started to welcome people onto the flight. And then I started to direct people through to first class, people who didn't have a first class ticket. I said, yes, through you go, first class, you've been upgraded today, go straight through this way. It wouldn't be very long before people started to question my authority and probably my sanity too. And I bet at some point, someone would say, who does he think he is? You can't just go around giving people permission to do things that they wouldn't normally be allowed to do unless you're a grandparent. Uh, Grandparents always give their grandchildren permission to do things that they wouldn't normally be allowed to do, but for the rest of us, uh, we can't do that. We'd get into trouble. And uh, if I did that thing on the flight, people would be looking at me and saying, 
Who does he think he is? And that is a key question for Luke. Who did Jesus think he was? Uh, That example I just gave about getting on the flight and directing people to first class, that might seem outrageous, but it doesn't even come close to what Jesus was doing and how it would have been perceived by, uh, by everyone, really, but specifically the Pharisees. Uh, so let's look at the two situations. Firstly, Jesus is walking through the grain fields on a Sabbath uh, with his ragtag group of disciples, and they start picking some heads of grain, rubbing it in their hands, and eating the kernels. Now, to the Pharisees, that would definitely be considered work. Uh, They had 39 different categories of work, and each of those were broken down into so many things that you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath. Uh, Picking any sort of natural produce would have fallen under the category of reaping. Uh, The Pharisees see this, and they think, we've got him. He set himself up as some kind of teacher, and here he is encouraging his disciples uh, to break our Sabbath law. But they're not breaking God's law. I mean, seriously, picking a a head of wheat or something and just eating a couple of kernels, would any of us really associate that with work? Going back to my earlier example, you know, where the the speed limit's 100, but we set it at 10. In this case, it's like the disciples are driving at 15 kilometers an hour. They're not even close to breaking God's law. Uh, but they have infringed on the Pharisees' uh, man-made uh, regulations. And Jesus responds, not with uh, boring legal arguments, but with a well-known and much-loved story about King David. Uh, when David was escaping from King Saul, and you remember that uh, King Saul was trying to kill him, uh, he was traveling around with a ragtag group of loyal followers, trying to stay out of Saul's way. He went to Ahimelech, the priest, and they asked for bread. And uh, there was no bread except that which had been consecrated. Normally only the priests would be allowed to eat that, but David and his men ate it. So why is Jesus telling this story? Well, it's not just to say David and his men did something unlawful, so why shouldn't we? There's much more to it than that. Look at the similarities um, between David in this story and Jesus at this point in his ministry. David was anointed king by the prophet Samuel when he was still a boy, but he hadn't yet claimed the throne. He was still waiting for his kingship to be fully established. Jesus' kingship was pronounced before his birth, and he too was waiting for his kingship to be fully established. Uh, presumably David was able to eat the consecrated bread and give his men permission to do so because he was the rightful king. Uh, Jesus and his men were able to eat those grains on the Sabbath because Jesus was and is the rightful king, albeit we've already established that they weren't breaking God's law anyway. Uh, Earlier, I used the illustration of directing random people to the first-class cabin on a Virgin Atlantic flight. And that would be a very strange thing for a member of the public to do. Uh, But it wouldn't be a strange thing for Richard Branson to do. The airline belongs to him. He'd be quite within his rights to allocate vacant first-class seats to random people getting on a flight. And no one would question his authority to do so. 
And that's the unmistakable point that Jesus is making. He actually says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath belongs to him. We looked at the phrase uh, Son of Man last week. It comes from Daniel 7. It was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself, and it was a clear messianic claim. It, It is, in fact, hard not to equate this with a claim to divinity. So here Jesus is again claiming to be God. And I think it's worth hearing this, uh, this bit from Daniel uh, describing the Son of Man. I'll truncate it because we heard some of it last week. But Daniel 7.14 says, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. From a Jewish perspective and from our perspective, who can forgive sins, or sorry, who apart from God can we worship? Well, the answer is no one. And it says here, peoples of every language worshipped him. When Jesus says the Son of Man, pointing to himself, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm the creator of the universe. Everything belongs to me, including the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. He is, in fact, saying, the Sabbath is all about me because I'm the one in whom you will find true rest. Who did Jesus think he was? He thought, or rather he knew, that he is God. Luke then takes us to another Sabbath. This time uh, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and the Pharisees are there not because they want to learn, but because they want to, well, they're hoping that Jesus will say something that they can use against him. And there's a man there with a shriveled hand, and the Pharisees, they know that Jesus has been healing people. They're looking very closely to see what Jesus will do. They're thinking, will he heal this guy? If he does, we've got him, because then we can accuse him of work. There's no evidence of this, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Pharisees had taken the man with the shriveled hand to the synagogue, uh, just so that they could try and trap Jesus. Uh, Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. And he gets the man to stand up in front of everyone. He says, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? If the Sabbath day is a day of rest, how can it be better celebrated than by giving this man permanent rest from the inconvenience and difficulty of living with that disability? There is a sense in which The Sabbath is the most appropriate day on which this man could be healed. Why would anyone uh, disapprove of such a a beautiful and life-giving act on a day that has been set aside for the Lord? Uh, And the answer is, well, no one would unless their heart was evil. When rules and regulations and bureaucracy become more important than people, there is a serious moral problem. The Pharisees were probably thinking, Who does he think he is to challenge us like this? Well, we've already answered that question. But now we come to the point where Jesus demonstrates who he is. Jesus looked around at them all. I imagine him making eye contact with them. Maybe they felt a bit uncomfortable. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. The Pharisees could hardly accuse Jesus of working on the Sabbath, all he had to do to heal the man was say four simple words, stretch out your 
hand, even the Pharisees, with their ridiculously strict standards, would be hard-pushed to construe one simple sentence as work. But the question of whether or not Jesus was working on the Sabbath should have paled into insignificance in the light of his obvious power and authority over the man's physical disability. In the first example, uh, when they were in the grain fields, uh, Jesus claimed to have authority, claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. In this second example, he demonstrates it in the most unequivocal and striking way. He is Lord of the Sabbath. The claim, along with the miracle, is evidence that Jesus does have the authority to do the things that he's doing. But the Pharisees were not interested in that which was good. Their hearts were darkened with evil. They had made up their minds about Jesus, and nothing would induce them to shift their position. Not even when Jesus raised people from the dead would they change their minds about him. They were proud, stubborn, jealous, legalistic, hard-hearted, and on this occasion they were furious with Jesus, out their minds with anger. We live in a world where there is an obvious conflict between good and evil, and that conflict comes to a head in the Gospels. Two weeks ago we saw how the, the devil tried to prevent Jesus from fulfilling his mission by tempting him in the wilderness. And today we see that the Pharisees have the same aim. They want to prevent Jesus from fulfilling his mission. And they discuss what they might do to Jesus, how they might stop him, how they might kill him. The Bible presents us with a clear choice between good and evil, life and death. The Pharisees chose evil at every turn, or most of them did. Uh, There are some prominent Pharisees that became followers of Jesus. Uh, But the fact that they couldn't see they were choosing evil or refused to see it says a lot about human pride, rebellion against God, and the spiritual forces of evil that are active in our world. Uh, These two stories about Jesus and the Sabbath underline that Jesus was and is God, and he knew it. He claimed to have authority over the Sabbath, and he did. And when this conflict between good and evil came to a head on the cross, Jesus triumphed. He has made a way for the whole of creation to come to a point of permanent rest. Rest from sin, war, fighting, selfishness, backbiting, foolish pride, every kind of rebellion against God, illness, disease, infirmity, permanent rest from every form of evil. The whole of creation will one day find eternal rest in Christ Jesus when he returns to make all things new. And we can have a prelude of that rest right now. The Pharisees loaded people down with heavy burdens. They they made rules and regulations that served no real purpose. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Sabbath principle of resting one day in seven is one we should hold on to because it makes for... um, a happier, healthier, more balanced life. 
But we must remember that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and true rest can only be found in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, acknowledge that we, we do all kinds of things to try and get rest. Um, but help, please remind us, Lord, that, that true rest can only be found in you. Father, help us to take the time uh, each, each week to enjoy you, to enjoy creation, each day even. Help us to get some sort of balance in our life. Help us to recognize you as Lord of the Sabbath, but also Lord of our lives. Father, in this uh, fight between good and evil that we see in the world around us, help us always to align ourselves with your kingdom values and to be the people that you've called us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.